0: So the big question is this, how do investors like us who don't have a PhD in finance or millions to start investing, how do we grow our bank accounts to build real savings and retirements and yet still have the time to do what we really love? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answer. Awesome. Cool. Let's go ahead and pound it out. So we're going to talk about crypto correlation. Now, it seems like almost half the room, which is incredibly surprising knows who this man here is which is awesome he's like so cool biggest hedge fund manager on the planet is really cool we're going to talk a lot about some of his work very early on here because correlation is the key to all of the investing that you do in all of crypto assuming you're kind of taking that investing and then letting the money grow kind of perspective uh, now here we have kind of Bitcoin, anyone ever heard of like Bitcoin related to gold or like Bitcoin is the new gold? Okay, this is kind of like a popular narrative, you heard of it? It's the narrative a lot of people go by and uh, you know Ethereum similar kind of in the technology space You got all these Wall Street guys analyzing, analyzing, how is everything going to do? Uh, and that was a really popular message for a very very long time. That was a very popular investing message for cryptocurrencies for crypto assets it's this hedge against inflation this hedge against the government this hedge against all the printing In you know you print all the money but there's only so many bitcoins so many ethereum ether you know yada yada that was a really big memo for bitcoin for a very very long time and then it kind of all stops kind of all came crashing down but before it did, this is when bitcoin was at about five thousand. this news article came out and they published this incredibly interesting image that i think the world is so happy it has been graced with and it's just bitcoin in this gold vault and that was a message a lot of people stood by until the beginning of this year the beginning of last year Uh, and mostly in this year when bitcoin really just kind of diverged from a lot of the indices or a lot of the commodities it was theoretically close to so you see here we got oil yellow and uh, sorry gold and yellow oil and black and then bitcoin just really doesn't correlate with them very much and the reason why is a lot of times when markets go down, when investors panic, funds move into commodities, funds move into gold. It's a pretty normal thing. In 08. markets started crashing, gold went up about 250%, 2.5x, about 140%. Um, it's like a pretty common memo, and people think, oh, well, if these gold commodities do it, then Bitcoin should do it. But as we've seen recently, crypto is kind of emerging as its own asset space that isn't particularly correlated. With any of these more traditional financial investments. And perhaps of significant importance to really look at here is that the market tanked. I mean, was anyone here trading in the markets in kind of February, March 2020? Yes, yeah. a couple of people? Trade the stock market, any markets, yeah. I mean, so when there was that huge, 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 huge crash, Bitcoin followed suit. It had some of its worst days in many, many, many years. It was just really just plummeted off of it. like most assets did at the time very close to most of the other assets. And for a lot of people, that was the start of, hey, you know, this is no longer our reality. We're entering maybe a, an asset that is its own class and its own investment, and that is really, really important when you start to look at building up your own portfolio. Now, show of hints, who's ever seen kind of a pie chart like this, maybe you think of like some investment manager at a bank, pulls up a pie chart, and he's yeah, a little bit, he says, oh, you need to allocate your portfolio. Say, yeah, a little bit, right? It's a pretty standard idea. It's a pretty normal kind of thing, just diversification of your investments, And there's a lot of really uh, kind of in-depth strategies we could talk about there. The basis of it is very simple. Say we have an umbrella company and say we have a sunscreen company. When it's summertime, a lot of sunscreen, maybe not so much umbrellas, and, and even just intermittently throughout the year, the umbrella company does really, really well, the sunscreen company does really, really poorly, and then vice versa. So if you invest half and half in each, you're going along for a lot smoother ride than if you only invest in the umbrella company. Now in this fake example, you also notice that if you only invest in the umbrella company, you get to a similar mean, similar end, You know, assuming they have the same return. And so really what that diversification does, what in an ideal perfect world, what portfolio diversification like this does is it just mitigates volatility and that's really important because most funds and, and most investment managers and most of the positions you enter into should be judged largely on volatility the less volatility you have you know has anyone here ever heard of like bonds or treasury bonds or cds stuff like that it's a very common low risk you you're basically guaranteed a return and so the returns are really low Ideally, you want to have really higher turns with really low risk, really low volatility. It's, it's pretty common, pretty standard stuff. And so when you think about crypto, it's really important to understand that it isn't as correlated as most people think to most other financial products. And in reality, as, as we've kind of seen emerge in the past year, it is a very uncorrelated asset class from all other financial products, investments you can make. And so this is where Ray Dalio comes in. This is a culmination of decades of Ray Dalio's work, and he calls it the holy grail. It looks kind of mathy, but it's actually like so freaking cool. And the idea is that when you increase your number of assets while decreasing their correlation, you start here at high correlation and you go here to zero percent correlation, the lower the correlation between all those different assets in your portfolio the lower chance of ever losing money in a given year. So you start, you have your whole portfolio in Bitcoin. Anyone ever had in like a very, very large part of their portfolio in like one investment, yeah, a little bit, yeah. yeah. What, what industry was it in? In crypto. In crypto, okay. Yeah.
1: I, mean, I, yeah. I feel like I
0: should have like just a few companies and try to get like outsized returns, but I always like... Having a few companies? Well, that's a good, you know, if you can pick really, really good companies yeah, yeah. and you can weather the volatility, it's a, a solid strategy, challenges a lot of times, it's like, yeah, I don't know what you do. Um, but 100% picking really good companies is like the way. This is kind of, because the more you're involved in your investing, the, the more you can do that, the more control you, you have over what it is you invest in. Um, and that's when when you get into trading, this is completely irrelevant, right? When you're just trading on technicals, you're trading just specific assets in short-term trades, or maybe just like you said, you know more about the company, you know more about the trade, then that's kind of a case where you can really start to verge away from this and have more correlated assets. Um, usually I, I kind of cap those positions at 7% portfolio exposure, that has worked really, really well for us. Um, but in general, when you're just investing maybe in broad markets, the low when you have lower correlation, you can really uh, smooth out your portfolio because we all like to say, "Oh, I would hold Apple stock if it had tomorrow, and I would believe in the company long term." But it when when the time comes, that proves pretty challenging for most investors. Yeah, this idea of selling low and buying high is uh, it happens because a lot of people make investments, like we talked about two weeks ago, based on emotion, and that emotion can play in, especially if your portfolio maybe you, you have an unexpected house payment, you know, something goes wrong, you need cash. And so a lot of times mitigating that risk and volatility is like really, really cool. So that's where we kind of have this holy grail of investing where you lower the correlation and your assets in the portfolio and voila, you have a lot more consistent growth. And that's the cool thing about crypto is that it can make up a very cool little niche part of your portfolio where it's just uh, a really, really solid uncorrelated investment space so you can allocate a pretty sizable amount to it, versus, traditionally, this is just something I found. You have a mid-cap bond, a large-cap fund, a small-cap fund. Those are all extremely correlated, you know? If the stock market goes down for large-cap companies, it usually goes down for small, it's very correlated. So this would be a really poor diversification strategy. Uh, bonds, similarly, will follow a very similar trend with most investments. And so, the crypto and, and other kind of assets really form a a very strong piece of your investment portfolio because they offer those returns without that correlation. Can uh, so say the, the bonds are extremely correlated with
1: um, the with default acronyms. rates.
0: Yeah. So when the market goes down, when the economy crashes, you have like a lot of those bonds will default. And if you look at the funds, are you familiar with bond funds? Yeah. So usually the bond funds will stay at, like 100 percent par. But when markets are crashing, and everyone's all emotional, everyone's all, you know, selling and, and trying to get out, the bond funds will trade below par. So they'll lose market value, They'll and a lot of times they'll have losses on the portfolio because of defaults. But the bonds, if you just look at bond funds, they're not, you know, stock market goes down 40% in 08. The bond funds will go down 7 10%. It's not as big of a loss, but they're still extremely correlated. Uh, and there's a lot of really cool research on bonds and, and bond funds. And they tend to do very, very similar, at least in the U.S., to the equities market. Well, so what I've heard, and I haven't researched it uh, too much, but I've heard that they're inversely correlated. Because when markets go down, interest rates go down generally. And because of that, the value of current bonds go, go up. Yeah, that's um, a really good point, and that's definitely usually true in, in sort of the longer bull runs. Uh, but when you get to the nitty-gritty of it, and, and that's the same thing. So when the market goes down, bonds go down less. When the market goes up, bonds go up more, 100%. No, oh, no, no, no. I'm saying the opposite. When the market goes down, bonds go up because interest rates drop. Ah. Right? Current market interest rates drop, and you're holding this bond that has a premium interest rate, and so you're able to sell it at a premium. Yeah, for the individual bonds. Yeah. Yeah, so, when, so you're saying when the market goes down, the interest rates drop, and then the bonds, the individual bonds go up in value. Yeah. That's true for individual bonds. And, and it's, shouldn't that be reflected in a bond ETF? So it's not reflected in big portfolios of bonds for two reasons. The first is just the market emotion. Most of these are traded as ETFs. So they aren't, you know, they're not actually at par. You can, they can trade below their par value, they can trade below the book value. Uh, but more importantly, it's just the default rates. In most cases where you have like actually defined, like the OA crash to the dot-com bubble, when you have very systemic crashes in the market, usually that very commonly leads to higher default rates. Tons and tons of companies went bankrupt with like these financial crises, and that hurts the bond fund portfolios significantly. Uh, and there's a lot of really cool research on there. Vanguard has some really great research on that. And you can do pretty simple comparisons of bond funds versus equities, and you can see it's pretty uh, it's pretty correlated. Okay, cool, so now we get to what we were talking about earlier. The idea that crypto itself might not be correlated with other asset classes, but most of crypto is really, really correlated. So if anyone has ever invested in crypto, I think you kind of get the idea here, is that if Bitcoin goes down, if Ethereum goes down, basically every other crypto, most other cryptos are going to go down as well in a given 24 hour period, one day period, something like that. and. That's really important because most people will invest in different sectors of stocks and, and you get a little bit, pretty, pretty good amount of diversification with that in the equity side. But when it comes to crypto, investing across the market is uh, it's kind of trivial. Uh, investing in projects versus companies versus really um, the bigger index, more index-like fund, more index-like cryptos, it effectively yields the same correlation. You have really just very similar uh, everything kind of moves in the same general direction, and so here's kind of showing this. Usually, you'll have a chart like this, and it'll say the core. And I know it's a lot of numbers, and looking at a lot of numbers. Forgive, me. I will explain it then. So you have basically a set of currencies, a set of cryptos, and another set of- it's the same set of cryptos, and you're just looking at the correlation between one another. So here you can see when you compare them to each other they're always correlated the same, right? You compare STEAM to STEAM, it's always going to be 1. But what you're really looking at here is the entire rest of the chart. So when you look at uh, STEAM versus Ethereum, uh, it's a smaller number, about 0.04 here, uh, and that means there's not much correlation, right? Versus when there would be more correlation, you have Ethereum Classic versus GNT, about 0.63. So closer to 1, the correlation coefficient, pretty kind of basic statistics kind of thing, you're all kind of familiar with correlation okay um so yeah closer to one it's really correlated green it's really correlated and then negative would be inversely correlated it's like opposite um what you see with most of these crypto assets is they're extremely correlated usually with a chart like this if you're looking at equities or, or any kind of uh investments there is some variation it's not entirely green it's usually specs is a lot of you know red uh and that's gonna come primarily down to the beta of most cryptocurrencies and all beta is is just the correlation between the asset whatever the coin is with the underlying market and for all the purposes we can kind of call bitcoin maybe a weight of bitcoin and some of the other top ones as the market so why does it say bitcoin and ethereum are negatively inversely related even though like you see a graph like they kind of move in hand. Yeah, that's facts. I didn't make this, uh, I didn't do this, this correlation. I don't know what the study period is for this. Okay. It might be a weird study period. Um, that's like 100% facts though. Yeah. I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't make this. But I think, yeah. So, a lot of times it will come down. So, when I was trading kind of Bitcoin at its peak, uh, it, it was really interesting because Bitcoin would, would go down, uh, and Ethereum would go up, and they were inversely correlated in some shorter time frames. Uh, and it messed up a lot of our trades. I was really sad about that. Um, and so, often it comes down to the time frame. But when you look at the long time frame, most of these are are really correlated, and it looks like it it might have done something here on the edge case. Uh, so, yeah. So the beta of the whole market, everything is 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 fairly correlated, and the alpha is really what makes these not all close to one. Because in reality, from experience, these are all pretty close to one. And if anyone's ever any kind of trade crypto or trade across currencies you kind of get the feel very, very quickly that everything is is very highly correlated. And so you'll see a lot of these are are smaller, and this actually is is likely, if if they went really far back, Ethereum's all-time total return is like 10,000% more than Bitcoin if you go from like the uh, the ICO, the initial offering they had. Um, And so a lot of times these are really correlated at the base, at the beta, just at the correlation of the market. And then when you see numbers that are smaller or even negative, well, at times that comes down to alpha. So alpha is going to be the return in excess of the market. So if we call it market Bitcoin. Bitcoin goes up 15% and Ethereum goes up 25%. That alpha is going to kind of hurt that correlation coefficient. It's going to get a little bit less correlated, not because they didn't have a very similar movement on the underlying beta, but because the asset itself just moved different than the market and it had a, a, an excess return. That's usually why you see numbers here a little bit smaller. Uh, but in general, the important thing to take away from here is that most of the points are, are very correlated. And so when you make a portfolio and you're just going to invest in it and kind of let it be, it doesn't make very much sense to just kind of spread it out all over the place. We tried that for a while at the fund It just didn't make particularly much sense. Instead, what makes a lot more sense, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, is to just execute your research and really research into these projects and figure out which ones are really great projects and kind of look at where most people are placing their money and, and kind of understand what those projects are. And, as you mentioned, find the ones that are going to outreturn the market, and then when you do that research, when you do that fundamental work, you can really uh, secure a lot of that alpha, and then, bam, you have a, a much better returning portfolio that's still very highly correlated. You know, your portfolio, no matter how many altcoins you buy, which are just smaller cryptocurrencies, is probably not going to go up when Bitcoin loses half its value. It just, it's not going to happen but over the long term you, you can really increase your returns when the market is doing really well but of course just remember that that's generally also going to make your losses a lot faster when the market's doing fully really just because pretty much everything's going to be more volatile like when we talked about investing emotion in etfs uh, and kind of bitcoin filling this role as a market indicator market etf um, most of these other are more sort of the individual stock kind of volatility and so because of that they have a much, much, much higher, I, this is just an example, there are thousands of charts just like this, without a doubt, uh, you have a much higher ability to create really great returns. This went, you know, Stellar went from uh, effectively like nil fractions of a penny to uh, 80 cents very, very quickly. And subsequently it's, it's had some really, you know, but then it also lost all of its value, right? So Bitcoin lost what half of the value in the time period that it took for uh, this, project it was like almost 80% of its value. And so you want to understand that when you veer away from sort of the main, you know, bigger uh, players in the game and you get closer to sort of, uh, we'll get to it later, more of those individual companies when we talked about emotion, you have the opportunity for a lot of really great returns. And uh, I was those in Stellar kind of right about here, based on technical analysis, and based on research, and that research really is going to open up these opportunities where you learn, because a lot of times the first hurdle is just learning about what these assets are, learning what these cryptocurrencies are, and that just comes down to really researching it, and then you, uh, you really have a lot of great, when you execute it right, you time it right, uh, a lot of great opportunities. There's just a lot of really new assets that fundamentally people don't understand, people haven't heard of them, and that leads to a lot of opportunity where you can pick individual positions that do really, really well, uh, because you have found um, that alpha, and it'll really, it, I mean, we can talk about correlation here all day, and I, I almost feel like academic talking about it, because I remember when I started trading, I never cared uh, even a smidge about correlation. I was like, I'm going to buy this stock, and I'm going to sell it, and I'm going to buy this stock, and I'm going to sell it. Um, but when you look at really constructing that overall portfolio, and you want to just kind of walk away from it a little bit, that correlation has a, a really big impact on sort of the work you have to do in your portfolio. You can work a lot less when you have less correlated assets and you have less risk in your portfolio. You can kind of walk away from it and not worry about it too much. And that gives you a lot of clarity, so you can make an investment and then wait five years and see how it comes to fruition because you don't have all that volatility. So, with that said, now we're going to move on to really looking at the projects you're investing in, the companies you're investing in, and how to, how to look at them. So, has anyone ever like, formed a company before? Really? What state? Illinois! Ah, Illinois. Oh, that's so cool. I got candy in a bag over there. You can answer so many questions. 100. About uh, an hour south of Chicago. Uh, okay. Peoria. You know Peoria? Yeah. I used to live there, but I moved to the metro. five years ago. Ah, yeah. oh, that's cool. So in Illinois, is it similar to this? Just one, one piece of paper, or is it two pieces of paper? I think it's. Two. It's two pieces? Was that for LLC? Um, it was an LLC. LLC okay, yeah, LLC is two. yeah. Uh, so a piece of paper, guys, um, sorry, a company. <laughs> a company is just a piece of paper, all right? Just, this is a filing cabinet. As Paul just said, he formed a company as two pieces of paper, all you do if you fill out two pieces of paper. You kind of write down your address and how many shares of stock. something it depends on, on the kind of company. It's literally just two pieces of paper. You pay the secretary of state two hundred bucks, and you just mail it to them. And bam, you're like that is every single company. So when you think of companies, you think of all these really, really big institutions, these really big firms. At their core, what makes a company is very often just two pieces of paper, one piece of paper abroad, it's a couple more pieces of paper. It's just a couple, it's just paperwork, right? That's all a company is. All a company is at its core, at its foundation, is just paperwork. And so the question becomes, well, why would you make a company? Uh, Why would you form a company? Liability. Yes sir, liability is a big one, so you don't wanna be liable for the company's debts. Another really important one is money, right? You you wanna keep most of your money. And pretty much everywhere in the world, when you're an individual and you make money, the way it works is you get your, your money in and then you pay taxes on it and then you can spend what's, whatever's left, right? Companies are really cool because when you fill out this piece of paper and you make your company, all of a sudden, and it, you know, there's different ways you can go about it, there's different structures, yada, yada. All of a sudden though, and, and when you form your company, you can take money in and then spend the money and then just pay taxes on whatever's left and there's uh, a lot of really great books about how to make sure that there's nothing left <laughs> when you, uh, by making like actual legal investments you know there's like a lot of, i spent uh, the lot really spent months in the tail end of high school doing nothing but reading thousands of pages of tax law it's like really really cool because once you understand it and you have a company all of a sudden instead of paying a bunch of taxes and then working with the money that's left over. You take in all your money, and then you just spend it on you know whatever you want to do, and then you just tax on the rest. And a lot of times you can invest in research, right? Amazon pays a, like a very, very, very small amount of taxes because they spend years and years and years and years on um, booking up research costs, and voila, it goes in on your company's tax report. And look at that, you're not paying taxes. It's like the coolest thing. Um, Robert Kiyosaki, he has a lot of really, really great book on this kind of information. And if you want to learn more about like the specific strategies, there's a lot of really great resources out there. And the cool thing is all the resources are based on the tax codes uh, in the US or kind of wherever you are. Um, and so you can just you can it's all public it's all out there. It's just like going through the source code for Bitcoin, going through the tax documents for wherever you are. So how can they have like very different numbers for like their tax filings versus their SEC filings? So they're the same, right? Yeah, the tax filings are just the financials of the company, and then for public companies, the SEC reports are just the financials for the company. Uh, if they're, uh, they're so. How can a company like Apple make like fifty billion dollars in profit, but not pay taxes on that? <laughs> <laughs> tax credits and stuff. Yeah. So how could Apple make billions and billions and billions and not pay taxes on it? We could talk all day. There's a lot of really cool strategies. Uh, if you so I. I don't wanna like, you know say I'm like giving like legal advice, but if you rent a plane and you go on this vacation to Hawaii, as long as on your vacation in Hawaii, you spend, I think it's, last I checked, it was two, four, two, two hours, four hours, four hours doing some kind of business meeting, some kind of business activity, that you have to be in Hawaii for, you have to take a really important phone call in Hawaii. I'm not like a lawyer, um, but last I checked, and you can write off a two week Hawaii trip Oh, the planes, the airfare, the you can do like 50% deductions on the meals, if they're business meals. You just qualify everything as business expense, and there are some nuances to it for sure. One thing Apple, but all of that will, so you have your income, and you can deduct all of that from your income and just pay taxes on what's left, because it's just an, opera, you, you count it as an operating expense for the business. Apple does some really clever things I think they have in, uh, in Ireland, um, I, from what I remember, they have companies in Ireland that own the patents yeah, from they the they engineer. They always they always me, yes, yeah. so in Ireland and <laughs> some of these other countries, uh-huh. there is like no tax rate, right? Yeah. So if Apple pays $100 million for licensing their patents to Apple Ireland, all of a sudden, you subtract that for how much money they make. They don't pay taxes on that anymore. And now it goes on to the Apple Ireland books, and Apple Ireland makes $100 million. And then, I, you know, there's a lot of new ways you can do it, but in Ireland, you can you can do a lot of really cool things with that, where you're like, okay, cool, this is our money now. Uh, It's, when you get really big, it uh, kind of becomes a little more complicated because it's shareholder money, and there's, you know, you gotta abide by CC rules and all that. When you have your own private company, you may have a little small company, or even just like medium, large size companies, a lot of times you can can do some really cool things where you very legally just expense parts, uh, you know, anything you would do for your business, from the business's income, and you can you can do some really really cool things where you basically just don't pay uh, pay taxes on money that you're spending for the business or money you're investing for the business. Uh, when you get into real estate, which I know like almost nothing about, but you can do some really 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 cool things with real estate, where you you kind of invest the income and in, I don't know too much about it, but it, it uses things like a depreciation deduction. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Depreciation is awesome. You can pay like 100 grand for some like uh, whatever business, whatever. And then um, you can depreciate it over the years. And say you depreciate 50 grand, you can do a cool thing nowadays where you just depreciate the entire purchase price in the first year, which is like awesome. Uh, but it's, just, it's another clever way to mark down income to make it lower. And the cool thing is if you fully depreciate it in the first year, you still get to use it. So say you, you buy like a, a new car or a crane or something for the business, you can write all that off with depreciation, uh, but you still have it, right? So it looks like you've lost all that money and it's all gone, but you still have the asset. Uh, and those are all kind of legal tax incentives that businesses have to invest in properties and invest in businesses buy things, et cetera. Um, you do the like, interest expenses, yada, yada, a lot of really cool things. Is um, there yeah, how you do that, just like write it all off in the first year? I never heard of it. I thought, I thought they were like really strict about following the like depreciation schedule. I think there's about a there's, well there's a section one hundred nine uh, one seventy nine deduction where you can do like one point four last I checked it was 1.4. last I did my taxes, which I yeah it was about one point four four million dollars a year you can do under that on a, a one seventy nine or a one hundred nine uh, claim it, it depends on the laws change yada yada um, that was that was introduced fairly recently well, It was like eight years ago from what I remember off, off my head. Um, and then, even if you do accelerated depreciation, there's a lot of, like, yeah. I, I'm uh, not a tax attorney, but there are a lot of really cool things you can do with that. So, as we start to look at crypto companies, uh, and just crypto in general, this is a pretty famous shirt, Vitalik, uh, the Ethereum guy, printed it uh, after they made the ERC20 standard, and his joke was that it was so easy to make an Ethereum token, you could do it on the back of a t-shirt. And it's like, you got 20 lines of code, and bam, you have an Ethereum token. Just like when you file that piece of paper with the Secretary of State, you fill out your name and your address and a little bit of other info, and it's like, bam, you have a company. It's like, there's a very low barrier to entry. You know, anybody can form a company, anybody can create some Ethereum token today. Like You, you, you just create it, and it's like, bam, I have an Ethereum token. Uh, and, <laughs> and that's it. It's a very low barrier to entry. And that's why I like, thought about kind of last two weeks ago um, you have a lot of projects just because the beard entry is so low and that's why research is really important when you do invest in a project, you really want to understand, hey is this somebody that filled out three pieces of paper and just Because a lot of projects uh, at least really bad ones, They'll literally just use the full ERC 20 contract codes and bam that's our that's our project we're doing and then they'll just advertise it and market it you'll see with a lot of the uh, more questionable ICOs, most of their money goes into marketing, almost none of it goes into development. Are we all, uh, ERC-20, I'm so sorry. I remember, because <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, 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 I'm i like, this is basic knowledge. And then I remember I was talking to the CEO of, like literally, I would say, the largest blockchain mining company in the United States. And and I'm like, are you familiar with what like, ERC-20 is? And he didn't know what it was. And so um, I, I <laughs> it was really bad all right so are we kind of familiar with erc20 should we, it's just a standard so with ethereum we're we kind of familiar with smart contracts okay the so smart contracts you can just write the contract and put it on the blockchain and voila it'll execute it'll do whatever you tell it to do erc20 is just nomenclature for a standard open source kind of like a github repo so you have a github repo for ethereum you have a github repo for for bitcoin for all these projects it's just a standard kind of template. You know when you were a kid and you kind of got like that MLA template off of the first result on Google and you got that template for whatever project you're doing. It's just like that. It's just a, a basic template that you have in uh, for recording value for having your own token. So you can say you get 100 Paul coins and, or you send 100 Paul coins, you know, whatever. It's just a very basic template for having your own crypto token. And it'll let you do all those things that we saw on week two, where you sign the transaction, and then you send the whatever the currency is. Um, so you can just generate kind of arbitrary tokens, whatever. Uh, and then for most initial coin offerings, not kind of familiar with initial coin offerings? Like kind of basic, broad, okay, cool. Um, so people will send cryptocurrencies to your, your basic contract, and there, there's some a little more code involved there, but it's, all, it's very basic. It's pretty open-sourced, everyone kind of is familiar with it. You send money to the contract and you receive whatever the ICO token is. And that's that's what ICOs are. ICOs are kind of the first phase of investments when you get into crypto. And they used to be a, like a lot bigger. Uh, they were like, you know, a lot bigger for in uh, kind of the 2017s. And it, most of those ICOs were just very simple contracts like this. And there are just a very surprisingly large number. Like multiple dozens of ICOs where they had literally this, uh, or, or something extremely similar to this, or just ERC-20, just the basic template copy paste contract code, and like a five-page white paper, and they would raise dozens and dozens of millions of dollars. Uh, and so that's kind of where we get into the next really, really important uh, fundamental concept to understand. If you're looking at ICOs, and, and you'll see them, uh, you'll see a lot of them just across the market, and you'll even see them with bigger projects. Ripple is going through a huge lawsuit with the SEC, as of late, and there are a lot of other companies that are in very similar situations, because if you sell, so, okay, securities, 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 securities. I have shares of my company, I sell them, they're securities. I have pieces of paper that say you'll get a profit from my pickle farm, and I sell it to the public. That's a security, okay? uh and there there's i mean just high level most investments are securities when you sell things to other people it's part of your company or you promise a return or it it all resembles some kind of investment that's a security okay most of the tokens and where most of the initial point offering very blatantly are securities offerings where you're selling securities you're selling Hey, this is our project, this is what we're going to work on, and we want you to to buy into it, give us your money for it. That's a security. Uh, When you issue tokens, like, they're basically securities. And there's only a couple of headline lawsuits based around these assets as securities. Uh, But at the end of the day, most of the cryptos out there are securities... Through security offerings. Ethereum was a security, and the I the SEC was just kind of like, we're not gonna deal with this, we'll just ignore it. Um, most of these assets, and especially with ICOs, you'll see companies, they'll raise $20 million and they'll sell like Binance uh, did this, they, they sold a bunch of Binance tokens in exchange for initial capital. That is a securities offering. Um, and I a friends of lawyers working on the Ripple case, and he says, you know, tell all the crypto companies to raise all their money and then set aside a third of it for their, me because they're going to have to pay all those legal fees with the SEC because it's a nightmare. Um, when you sell securities, you have to go through an incredibly large amount of disclosures. Back in 1929 when there was the Great Depression, a lot of that came from just scams where people would sell securities that were unregistered. People would... There was a lot of manipulation in securities. There's a lot of manipulation in bookkeeping. And so there are a lot of disclosures you have to make whenever any american ever can buy any of your securities that's why the securities and exchange commission exists that's like basically their whole job and most of these assets are securities so you're going to see um, you just have to understand that first of all you have to pay your taxes on these investments and most of the time the exchanges out there aren't going to do the heavy lifting for you they're not going to give you anyone here ever opened like a brokerage account then at the end of the year, you get a dividend form, or you get a stock sale form, it tells you all the money you made. Good. 1099 MIS, 1099, 1099, 1099 DIV, 1099, the broker one, yeah. 109b. Yeah, the 1099s. Most crypto platforms, including Coinbase, as of late, will not give you these documents. Uh, well, they might do, but they, ha- they didn't do it, okay, the other year, so yeah, they, they changed some of the things they did um, once they're in public. These platforms aren't going to keep track of how much money you make and it's really important that you account for them because you don't want to be in a case with the SEC. You don't want to be in a case with the IRS over misrepresenting how much money you make and your securities investments. It's just a nightmare to go through and it's just a lie and bad, bad, bad stuff. I think it's also valuable to say that a lot of times those, those exchanges can't because you've deposited crypto and so there's no way to establish cost basis unless you manually enter that. Yeah. Theoretically, um, they could if you buy and sell on their platform only, but I think most don't even in that situation. But a lot of times they just can't. Yeah. So we kind of, Paul mentioned, is that most crypto exchanges don't even have your cost basis. They don't know. Because on the blockchain, you can just transfer peer to peer and like who knows, right? Uh, and for a lot of these exchanges, some of them don't even take your credentials at least for a while you could just sign up for an account and deposit bitcoin and sell the dollars and withdraw uh it was kind of nutty for a while and that led to a lot of tax fraud a lot of tax you just you know if nobody knows about it i don't have to report it like that's illegal right uh, and then a lot of times in all the cost basis yeah you have to self-report the cost basis uh what we saw at least in the futures market there were a lot of crypto exchanges and and platforms that were trading Futures products, uh, leverage cryptocurrency contracts, stuff like that. And it was seen more so in this space than with the crypto broker space. And if anyone's ever really got into the nitty gritty of crypto exchanges, if you go on Coinbase and you go to any asset and click markets, you can see all the exchanges that trade the coin. You'll notice that a lot of them don't allow US residents, and that's purely because of this right here. And uh, in, in the futures market, uh, with those exchanges that were trading futures products, they especially do not allow U.S. Uh, citizens to trade most of their product. Uh, uh, yeah, like most of them don't allow U.S. citizens to register because uh, that goes through the Commodities Futures Trading Commission or if you just, the coins themselves go through the Securities and Exchange Commission because most of them are securities. If you have any U.S. resident trade that, there is just a nightmare of legal hassle you need to go through as a platform, as a broker, as an exchange there's all this regulation you have to go through to be, like a stock exchange, right? If you wanted to be a stockbroker, you wanted to be a stock exchange, there is an incredibly large amount of regulation you have to go through to do that. And most of the crypto exchanges out there are regulated, at least a lot of them, have like very, very little regulation. Most of them are registered in the Marshall Islands, which has no financial law, effectively no financial laws. And uh, like 80% of them are registered in the Marshall Islands because they have no financial laws. They have... I can talk all day, I, this is not the point. Um, we can talk more after class. A lot of times that there aren't securities laws in these countries and you can just get away with a lot of crazy stuff. So with that said, to understand that's a risk factor in most of the smaller investments you make when you look at ICOs. So here's an example of an ICO. These guys raised $75 million in 2017, tail end of 2017. And then basically the founders disappeared, everybody disappeared, the wallets sold all the money and poof you know everything disappeared Uh, nobody knew anything about the founders there was almost no information on the project and it's basically just they just stole uh 75 million dollars and there's you know more to it but but that's high level so a lot of these very 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 early stage investment opportunities you really got to be careful and understand what you're getting into because the barrier to creating most of these assets is very 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 low so you really want to understand what, what's going on and there's not any regulation to save you for most of these companies at the end of the day so you really want to understand what's going on same thing with ipos i very very rarely invest in ipos when company first goes public because usually uh you, you aren't really sure about it and and this runs through with I, icos as well Uh, Usually, like 9 out of 10 times, the company is going to raise money and then they're going to do kind of poorly after the IPO for a pretty long time, usually a couple years, uh, depends on the industry and the company. Like when Coinbase went public, I was shorting them like from day one at like 400, 420. I was like, this is no way, right? And it it played out pretty well. Not as well as I'd like. Anyway, um, most companies, when they first have that initial offering, it's a lot of hype, it's a lot of emotion, it's a lot of, it's just, there's a lot of things going on that lead initial offerings, have really high prices. And then one of the big ones is you have people that get in at the venture stage when they have really, really, really investments, and now they're selling 10% of the company onto the open market. Just in general, most initial offerings do very poorly after they go public for a decent chunk of time. And with a lot of these ICOs, you have that additional risk factor of whether or not it's actually you know, reputable, whether it's a good project. And usually you can tell in crypto because you just you just look at the project a year down the road And if it's trading at zero dollars, then okay, well good. Don't touch that one Uh, But if it's not then you can start to you know, do some research So you just want to see that if the projects have been around Um, and that gets us into our next uh, stage and this kind of combines both of the you know, the blockchain, the contracts, whatever the platform the blockchain platform is with the company side forming that company having a profit incentive Uh, And this is really where you have a lot of lawsuits because these are very clearly securities when you issue tokens around a company. It's like really legal. Um, Some really great examples of this are Ripple and and Crypto.com. Crypto.com has over 2,500 employees. They've raised billions of dollars through crypto. They are a really great example of this. And they're a company that's doing big things. They're doing really cool. Anyone here ever heard of Crypto.com? Yeah. Yeah, I use it. You use it. You have the card. Oh, no. Use it for Ethereum. The app for Ethereum. Yeah. It's interesting. Their exchange product, which is separate from the app and, and stuff. Yeah, the CRO coin. The CRO, not zero coin. They have an exchange, and you, the U.S. Oh, residents okay. can't access it because of... Yeah. The zero coin, though. Um, were you around originally when they had the MCO token? That was kind of their first token. I was... Uh, I, I put it... The fund put a decent of change in the MCO token. And... Um, oh, well, not for... it um and then what they did is they said oh this is a security we can't have a security so they said we're gonna stop having the MCO token and we're gonna go over to the CRO token which has done really really well and they said this is a utility token uh, which is just BS I mean they're all securities it's uh, very much uh, on the edge of securities fraud what a lot of these crypto companies are doing because they don't have SEC filings they don't have proper disclosures and yada yada so that's just a risk factor you really need to understand if you invest any crypto project, it also has a company behind it. And the cool thing, when you do get to these crypto projects, is you're not gonna get in trouble, right? You just have to understand the market value, the security can go down a bunch if there's a lot of lawsuits, yada. But the cool thing with these is you can analyze the company, you can analyze the business model, you can analyze the founders, and you can go into all the nitty gritty of what the company wants to do and how they're trying to make money. And you can use that to say, okay, cool. Well, now we kind of understand what's going on here. And you can make an investment based on the company's business model. And so that's a cool thing you have with crypto companies. There are some companies that kind of merge the lines between a company and a crypto. Uh, Steemit is a really good example. Steemit has kind of their own blockchain that they run. And then, or, or Steam has their own blockchain they run. And there's kind of a, a foundation. There's the big group of open source developers around the blockchain. And then this company, Steemit, runs sort of this. Anyone heard of Steemit? It's kind of like social media on blockchain. I had a little one. You had a good account? Yeah. I mean, I had maybe a thousand bucks of Steam for a while until I decided no, it's not going where I want it to be. Right. Yeah, it's a bunch of Steam, and then it didn't really go where you want. Yeah, they did change a lot of the development. I think I actually earned most of it just from, like, they had different ways to like, you could, like, if you posted something and it got, like, a bunch of upvotes, you basically just got free money and stuff like that. Yeah, you basically um, got free money on their platform. Because they just generate it, you know, they just give the Steemit tokens out, make it up out of thin air, and then put it on an exchange and it has some kind of market value. Uh, That's a really interesting case study. And it kind of merges crypto companies with crypto projects because they kind of had both aspects of those in one. I traded them a lot at the fund. I did a lot of really active trading with them. And they were just, uh, ah, it's it's cool. Um, And so, yeah, crypto companies are kind of more so on the company side. And then the big differentiator between crypto companies and crypto projects is that most crypto projects are run by a nonprofit foundation, a nonprofit board. Like Ethereum is a really big crypto project. It's run by the Ethereum Foundation, it's just a charity organization based in Switzerland. But most of these crypto projects that you're going to see with most of the big crypto projects is they're run by a nonprofit, they're run by not a for profit company. And that's a really big differentiator. Because it, it differentiates ecosystems uh, and big crypto projects that are designed to be the next Bitcoin, the next payment platform, the next smart contract platform, etc. It differentiates those those platforms from, you know, kind of more company-based platforms. And at least from personal experience, you're going to see a higher upside on crypto projects than crypto companies. Because for crypto companies to do extremely well, the underlying company has to do really, really well. and That takes time, you know, it's not going to happen in four years most of the time. The company's got to take time, Uh, you know, Crypto.com's been around, you know, they're coming on uh, a decade of development, and and it just, it takes a long time. Uh, With Crypto Projects, you can publish some new crazy consensus, we'll talk about consensus mechanisms, and and we'll talk about that soon, next week, Um, but with Crypto Projects, you can have some really smart new protocols, some really smart new algorithms, some really great new ways to use the blockchain or make your own blockchain. And then people can just see it and buy into it. And and crypto projects really have a lot of growth potential because of that. And you'll see them go up extremely quickly when they start to catch on traction because of that. Uh, And so that's uh, a really important fundamental difference you'll see. And most crypto projects start out as ICOs. And then they kind of persist for a few years, and and usually, with most of the big crypto projects, they're crypto projects because, you know, today we see them as this really valuable, they're like top 100 on Coin Market Cap. they're really valuable. They'll all usually start out as ICOs, and if you've ever seen any of them, they just kind of stay at zero for a long time. it will go from like one hundredth of a cent to two hundredths of a cent over the first year or two, maybe three hundredths of a cent in year two and a half. Uh, And then it starts to really pick up traction. And so, and then then start to gain a lot of value. And then, you know, just think about like Bitcoin, right? When it first started out, it had no value for years until Bitcoin pizzas, until people started to, you know, think that, hey, we should buy these things. Um, And that's kind of the same track you see for a lot of these crypto projects. They'll start out really, really slow. They'll have this great new technology that nobody knows about. And then when people start learning about it, they gain a ton of traction. They start to go up the ranks on value. And then people say, wow, this is valuable. I could look at it as an investment. And then people come in and and do research on it, and more and more and more people learn about it, more and more people read the white papers, they understand what it's about. Um, And that compounds really quickly, you'll see that compound very, very quickly with most of the top projects. If you just look at the top projects on market cap or whatever the top cryptos are, you'll see a a very quick kind of, at least for most of them, they kind of have that fast growth curve where, all of a sudden, you know, nobody knew about it a week ago and then bam, you know, and and this is all relative, this is over the span of months, but, you know, it kind of gives you that faster growth potential. You'll see nothing happens for a long time and then people start to learn about it, they start to do something, they have, you know, Stellar had some big news with IBM and the like, and and then it starts to gain a lot of traction. And then, depending on how good your analysis is, kind of depends, you know, like how sustainable is it and it all just comes down to research at that point. Uh, so that's what you see as crypto projects, and they're they're super solid, and they're not associated with companies. That's the big difference. They're usually nonprofits. They have a lot of open source developers. That's what basically all these crypto projects are. Versus the company is a lot of it's closed source, and it's just another way of offering securities. It's like kind of legal, um, yeah. And then the last one is private placement. This is an area of investing that you're. <laughs> Probably not gonna touch. Um, think about like investing in Apple in the 1980s. It's kind of you know you've got to be at the right place, you've got to be there at the right time, you have to have a bunch of money to put in, um, and and most of, like so companies like BitPay, companies like Coinbase, uh, they raised, uh, collectively they raised hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, in well, uh, Coinbase raised yeah before Coinbase went public, it was a private company. They had a series A, it's just standard venture capital. Everyone kinda of familiar with like a series A, a series B, a series C, they raise money. So the it's just a private company selling shares in a private placement, which is the legal way to sell shares in a company before it goes public. Um they, hit, they raised 75 million dollars so far and Coinbase raised a bunch of money. They were in like Y Combinator, right? So they gave six, seven and a half percent of their shares, whatever it was at the time to Y Combinator, stuff like that. Um, those are just private placements, kind of venture investments, and uh, you really have to, that's just completely different. It's, I don't do much in, in venture, I don't do much in private placements. Well, I mean, I, with the, you sell the fund in private placements, but I don't do much with venture, that's venture basically. Uh, and that's just a completely different game, where you're searching for the newest crypto projects. It's a huge industry, it's one I have very little experience in, and it's just the standard risks of venture companies. Is it going to do really well, is it not going to do really well? Uh, and a lot of times that, that's hard to tell, but it's just basically just completely different from from these crypto projects. In an ideal future world, when companies that are crypto companies go public, you know, ideally, you'll have kind of this, this blend where coin offerings can become equity offerings. Uh, and that's kind of what we're, we're pioneering at, at Block Transfer, and there's a lot you can go into with that. The whole idea of everything being decentralized, everything on the blockchain. Uh, there's a lot of really cool ways to and there i there, there's some cool platforms too that do private placements on blockchain and the nuances behind that are you have to be an accredited investor so you have to have a couple million bucks in the bank you have to make a couple hundred grand a year there's just some doors for private placements in vc that are prohibitive for a lot of investors um and so in terms of where these projects fall at the end of the day both these icos kind of in this venture space most of these crypto companies are also in this venture space namely the ones that aren't public um, which is about like 99.9 percent of them there's like one public company like, well, there's, a, there's like blockchain companies so i guess it depends on your definition of crypto company but most of these are going to be in kind of this venture capital stock kind of volatility and that's why you want to put in the venture capital stock kind of research uh, I, I don't have much experience in venture capital a lot of it's based on i, I don't have much experience in research for venture capital but for individual companies um, you know you really look through their financials you look through their business plans you look through their models and you just understand what they're doing so that's kind of where they fall in on this scale and then everything else is kind of in that same kind of volatility the projects you really just research and research and research and I'm, i think i've said it about 100 times so far so forgive me uh, but most of the understanding you do here cyber like technical analysis for timing everything comes down to just researching the investments and everything here basically falls into research and most of the crypto companies will fall under the general kind of ETF space, if you can call it that, of Bitcoin and kind of the whole, you know, top market player. And that'll determine basically most of the directions they move in. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of the basis of Crypto Correlation, and then how to look at the different projects and investments, the opportunities that are in the space. Yes. Cool. Why is it that, uh, yeah. <laughs> Want more stock market secrets? If so, go get your free copy of my best selling book, Nine to Noon. You can get your free copy plus $11,176 of unannounced bonuses. It took me years to uncover completely for free at Nine to Noon Inside Nine to Noon, you'll find the top 38 secrets you can use to double your portfolio every two years and make upwards of 10% per trade daily.